0: If people focus on entrepreneurship in the right way, they can become a better entrepreneur. They haven't got to breeze through it by just trying to solve the problem in front of them. You have to think holistically.
1: Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome everyone to the Mind Valley podcast and once again this is a live podcast with me is a man who has been dubbed the Elon Musk of the United Kingdom. So let me tell you about Martin Warner our guest today. He's one of the UK's leading entrepreneurs. He's most famous for a company called Flix Premiere. Now Flix Premiere is a place where you go to stream independent films and Martin's going to talk a little bit more about that. But in the Western world, there are many more movies that are made than actually find release in the cinema or on Netflix and Flix premieres where you go to stream these independent movies. He's also the chairman and founder of Autonomous Flight, an electric aviation-focused R&D firm pioneering urban air mobility. In short, Flying cars, Martin is the founder, author, and mentor of Entrepreneur Seminar, which is an online seminar for entrepreneurs. more recently, he co founded Bot Objects, which is a 3D printing software company, which get this in seventeen months was acquired for fifty million, so you can already see why he 's called the Elon Musk of the United Kingdom. He has built a dozen leading products, published one hundred and twenty patents. As well as thought over 5,000 entrepreneurs, he's been on Sky News, BBC, BBC World News, Fox Business, and many others. Martin, welcome to Mind Valley. Well, thank you for having me, and thanks for a wonderful introduction. So we have 185 people here, and it'll probably climb up to about 300 people live, and there'll be about 50,000 or so listening on our podcast and on YouTube. We're going to talk about the four elements that drive successful entrepreneurship. Okay, the four elements. And we're going to discuss mindset, personal growth, wisdom, skill set, examine the reality, the entrepreneur's reality, and discuss tools and approaches. And if you have heard of Martin, because I know our audience is from all around the world, and if you have your questions for Martin, please go ahead and post them in the Q&A box, okay? And we'll be looking at your questions as well. Martin, let's begin. Firstly, how did you become such a freak of nature. How does a guy like you come up with 120 patents and start companies as diverse as movies to
0: 3D printing to flying cars, autonomous urban vehicles? It's a great opening question. First of all, you know, thank you for the format. I think it's going to be exciting to get other people's perspective on how they're viewing the conversation. And there's a wide lens of things that I've done. And I get the kind of comparison to Elon Musk, but you know, there are some macro differences, right, in terms of the scale. I mean, what I am at the end of the day is a, an entrepreneur, a product builder, and an inventor. And those kind of skill sets were with me when I you know, grew up through my teenage years. I was always building things and I was obsessed with solving problems. And I tried to always take a science approach. I was very skill set driven. I started to realize that actually that didn't complete anything it didn't complete me as a rounded entrepreneur i didn't even understand in my early 20s what entrepreneurship was okay so i went through this journey of developing a skill set in finance and technology and i wrote scripts in my early 20s been in the film business 25 years and i'm one of these rare people that i live in dualities today i live in two countries and i'm 50% i don't have a vacation home i live in two countries literally roots family and everything it was a bit like film and my professional career. While I was trying to succeed in film, I was building a career. I lived in two dualities. So, what does that mean? I'm a curious, meandering type of person that wants to build things. And fortunately, I'm 48 now. If you look at my journey, I've done so many things. I'm in 11 industries. I've had an opportunity to do things that I really am motivated by, and I like to think, in some way. You know, I've had some effect on the world in terms of you know, innovation, technology, best practice. How bigger impact? Hard to quantify. But but what I have done is I've been really fortunate to be able to work on the things that I work on. As I got older, and I had more money, or let's just say more net worth, I was able to focus on bigger problems and things that were perhaps even more germane to my interests. By the way, a very interesting point: I became aware. Of the need to be an effective entrepreneur in my late 20s and that's when I began my true study of entrepreneurship and I've been teaching it for 18 years and I think there's a number of ways you can spin this and I've looked at it from kind of the internal perspectives, I've looked at it from a harsh skill set perspective, I've looked at it from a science method perspective, I think it's a fascinating subject and I do think without over-engineering if people focus on entrepreneurship in the right way they can become a better entrepreneur. They haven't got to breathe through it by just trying to solve the problem in front of them. You have to think holistically at the subject of entrepreneurship. I have a question because there's
1: one of the reasons I was excited about interviewing you, Martin, is because you've been able to build multiple businesses in multiple industries. I think you said 17 different industries? 11 different industries. 11 different industries, yeah. multiple businesses in multiple industries. So there's obviously a pattern. There's yeah. something that you've discovered that you can replicate but Mm -hmm. here's what confuses me. Mm -hmm. I'm in just one industry, education, ed tech, right? That's my industry. And I'm always confused. And I guess there are people here as well listening who might have the same question. When do we know if we should just focus in our niche or when do we know when we should become a serial entrepreneur and start a second or a third or a fourth
0: business? How do we decide between going deep or going wide? Well, let me add something between going deep and going wide. Do you know what that is? It's called an asynchronous entrepreneur, okay? And there's a difference, right? One is that we decide, let's say, you know, you're doing amazing things, more I read about Valley, At some point, you might exit. You may or you may not, but let's say you do. So then you become a serial, sequential entrepreneur. You go, and you may go wider in terms of an even bigger challenge, right? But at the end of the day, you're on to your next journey, Right? An asynchronous entrepreneur is someone crazy enough to play four games of grandmaster chess at the same time, right? They want to move the pieces on the board at the same time into completely different environments. Now, I can tell you my own personal motivations. I wouldn't necessarily school people to go and do that. In fact, a lot of what I do is I pair things back to the essential problem. I go after a very holistic plan. I then look at my plan and I look at the law of three, meaning... For every dollar, it really is $3. It'd take me three times as much and three times as long. And then I go and set all my expectations that way. I have a whole efficiency model, the way I manage people. But fundamentally, I pair things back and I look at just what I've got to do. In other words, less is more. I think if you can focus on one great business and do that really well, that's more than half the battle. That's probably more than half the fulfillment, okay? If you want a lot of stress and and you want to get things done, my personal motivation was, did I want to get to my 50s and be starting new businesses? Or did I want to get some of the things off my chest, things that I wanted to achieve earlier? I wanted to be in flight. And so I decided to launch these programs. So my my education business has got a couple more chapters that I'd like to take it through. And I don't want to be 60 years old doing that. So, uh, so we're spending a lot of time and money and effort on that. E-Veto aircraft, if I didn't enter the race, I was the first British pioneer. I wouldn't be in it. There's 155 companies and over $2 billion of capital in this space. And we're within the top 15 that has a full-size concept or prototype in the world. You have to pick your moment. So for me, I've just decided to take more risk and extend myself in terms of my effort and my resources and time. I think the answer is the time is really whether you consider you really need to be asynchronous and you want to take that additional risk or whether you're just ready to you know, move into that next journey and pick a completely different industry, which I think of going wide, meaning, can you open your lens and say, you're not in ed tech now, you're going to go and build something in the media business, or you're going to go and build something in manufacturing. I woke up at bed one morning, sorry, later that night my friend came around with a 3d printed whistle. And I said, why have you got a 3d printed whistle? I've known this guy eight years. And he said, I build 3d printers in my spare time. I said, Mike, his name was Mike. I said, I never knew that about you. He goes, well, I don't know everything about you. So we had a cigar in a hot tub and we basically created a 3D printing company. You never really know. That's what I consider going wide. We didn't know what to do. And in 17 months, you sold that company for 50 million. Yes.
1: That's astonishing. And congratulations. Thank you. What is that mindset? Now, you're also a teacher. What I like about you, Martin, is that many entrepreneurs are unconsciously competent. They are good at what they do, but they cannot... Decipher what they do and train a student. You're consciously competent because you're also in education. Mm -hmm. And this is where this interview gets interesting. What makes you Martin Warner? I don't mean what in terms of what natural advantages you have or a high IQ you were blessed with, but what are the approaches that you think other people could emulate?
0: We, you started it by introducing what I call the four elements of entrepreneurship. And I think it's a, probably a great envelope in order to kind of unpack some of these approaches or tools or strategies. Let me step back just slightly and say that I came out of a skill set generation, really pragmatic, really functional. If you couldn't touch it, it didn't exist. And like, if things were bad, you just had to get on with it. If you had a bad day, it was like, You know, don't be weak, just get on and move on. So it felt like I was in the coal mines. Now, I'm not that old, right? But what I'm trying to say is that for me to become a better entrepreneur, I started to realize, wow, there's a lot more here, right? And I don't mean necessarily snake oil or reframing my reality. I mean looking at things and and not ignoring the obvious traits that an entrepreneur needs. And by the way, over 150 studies, we can look at many different entrepreneurs and realize whether they were conscious of it, they possessed these four elements. So let me break them down to give you some examples. We'll go quite wide rather than very, very deep so that we can cover the circumference. But one of them is mindset, right? So it's pretty obvious. We don't have to over-engineer this, but if we are not aware of setting the mind some clear expectations of what's gonna happen along the journey, then we are going to start developing fears potentially destructive emotions. We're not necessarily going to solve the problem the right way. We're going to have mood swings. We're going to have potentially a deterioration of culture in the company. So mindset and focusing on what is the journey really like? By the way, hopefully during this conversation, vision, you'll relate because you're a successful entrepreneur and you manage a lot of people. So you'll go through this. We're not talking, by the way, about a mum and pop store. You can do valuable work in this world, you can be a small business, you can be an entrepreneur, you can have a simple problem, and you can perform it really well, and you can have a nice life. But for those people that look in the press and aspire for greater reward, and they want greater scale, they are going to have to prepare their mindset for the journey ahead, or what I call practical expectation management. So I'm going to come back to that point a little bit, but it's a journey of leveling with yourself and saying to yourself that it's just not gonna be easy. You're gonna solve problems every single day. And when they don't work, it's okay. But how do you go forward with that? So the mindset's one area. The personal development, I think of that as the traits of an entrepreneur. So the first one is mindset. And
1: then the second one that we're about to go into is personal personal development. Oh. But with mindset, if you could summarize it into one message, one key takeaway that we could go home with, what would be that
0: key idea under mindset? It's simple. How do you balance the mind if you were to take seven days, 14 days, a year? How do you come up on top? How do you maintain a healthy mindset throughout the journey? And when you say healthy mindset,
1: it sounds like what you're saying is we have to solve problems every day, to use your earlier quote. It's not always going to be easy. Mm -hmm. There's going to be times when we're going to feel like we're bumping our head against the wall. But it's that grit, that perseverance about moving through that. Is that what you mean by mindset?
0: No, I think of a number of things. If I break it down to another level and say that the first thing I did, I realized it was hard. I thought, I actually feel good. I feel like I'm actually being courageous. I celebrate the idea that my first productive move was to take on something that's not going to be easy. That i'm actually stretching myself and i actually think that's a healthy method right to push my to push ourselves the other thing is i look at the mental side of, of it and, and i think to myself how do i keep a stable well-being what does it mean to be well-rounded how do i come to work and do the best work some for me a healthy mindset for entrepreneurship is figuring out what else is going on in your life because you at the end of the day we have one brain we have you know pair of hands and a body and you know depending on what philosophy you know we have a soul but we don't have multiple this is it so if I have a bad home life or I can't sleep or I have other deprivations if I don't eat well if I don't watch my caffeine intake I'm gonna first of all come to work I'm going to be battling with my own demons or my own moods I'm not going to be as productive on some days I'm not necessarily going to communicate at my most effective with people and that's a shame that's a tragedy and by the way Having come from investment banking and worked the 14, 15 hours a day, and I still work those kind of hours more out of passion. But back then, I had no choice. I had to do it. I felt that if I didn't correct my mindset, and it had nothing to do with skill set at this point, right? Or even traits that were in me, I had to think about what was a happy, healthy well being. And so there's a bunch of them, but a lot of them exist around this idea of what should I tell myself as an entrepreneur in order to maintain that I won't develop fears which at the end of the day is the fear of the unknown right we don't actually understand when it's going to happen so there are tools for that we get around fear by actually learning things like personal development skill set wisdom the more we actually understand the circumference the more we can overcome the idea that there's an accidental fear that creeps into our life same with ignorance and complacency Those are things that are very difficult to measure because we don't see them coming, but they literally are like typhoons in the business. I tell myself that those are out there. I give myself a a reality check as an entrepreneur, and then I basically break down things that I think can help me achieve a healthy state of mind. And then there are things I do around trying to make that sustainable. So let's pause there. I want to ask the audience that's listening. And for those of you listening on the
1: podcast, we're recording this in front of a live audience of our All Access customers. So you can learn more about Mindvalley All Access from mindvalley.com forward slash access. These are the Mindvalley students who get access to everything Mindvalley, including these live conversations. Now, for those of you who are listening live, I'd love for you to type in the chat box what insight you received in the last 10 minutes as you heard Martin speak. What was the insight, the idea that has come to you thus far? And as you're typing that out, and feel to type it out as detailed as you want, I'm going to read out some of the responses. I want to ask a second question to Martin. Martin, how do we know
0: the difference between focus and distraction? It's a great one. I'm not sure that focus and distraction actually live on the same plane. And I'll give you a great example. I hear this all the time. So we can become extremely focused in moments and think that that's a healthy outcome because we're actually seemingly making progress bit by bit. But actually, it could actually be just a distraction because of the underlying cause or the place in which you started from. And so if we don't really understand the position, we certainly can't dictate the end, but we can focus along that journey, which is why I don't think they're at the same plane. The interesting thing about distractions is identifying what a distraction is. Uh, whereas focus is much easier. If I sit in one place, I generally try not to let all the noise get into my brain, and I can think about something, and I can develop that thought process, I'm focusing. If I can agree with a group of people at any one time and move from one place to another that we know took constructive reasoning, I'm focused, right? Same if I go and do 50 lengths in my pool, I'm focused. But the other one, being distracted, easy if you said, Might I've got to go and get a cup of coffee. I'll see you in a minute. I'm going to say you got distracted by a cup of coffee. But much harder if we're on a similar plane, but I don't actually know where you started from. And so, I, you know, we might get into it and we realize, actually, this is just a distracting conversation. We didn't get anywhere. Amazing. Thank you for that answer.
1: I really, really like that. So distraction is when you're moving away from an agreed-upon objective, whether you've agreed on that with yourself, in other words, your commitment to your goals, or with your team. When right. you are moving away, from an agreed upon OKR or goal or objective, that is distraction. But it seems to me that you're saying that one can run multiple projects at the same time. As long as you're focused and as long as you've agreed on that with your team
0: or yourself, you're good. By the way, that's a scaling trigger. You just nailed it. That's a scaling trigger. So once you understand what the source of the plan is, or so in other words, you want, let's just say, I want to travel a path that gets me to a particular destination. I can repeat multiple destinations at the same time, and I don't have to be the person participating on that journey, but I can influence it. And those are scaling triggers. Beautiful. Amazing. So I want to read out some comments, some insights
1: from our live participants today. Daryl Byrne shared something. He said, I just grabbed a nugget of wisdom about getting around fear, realizing that fear is generally caused by the unknown." By learning more about the process, you eliminate the fear of the unknown. Thank you, Daryl. And here's another insight from Natalie. Natalie said, what I got out of this is overall holistic health is so important in order to be in the best shape to tackle the challenges of the journey. Another idea from Louisa Mercado, have a clear picture of the journey ahead and think of ways to balance it out to keep your mindset healthy. And... Jerry Rollins wrote this, without mindset, entrepreneurship is handicapped. Being able to acknowledge any fear is key to being able to overcome them. Taking care of myself is the only way that I will truly be able to take care of my business. Thank you, guys. These are some interesting ideas. And I want to read one more. This is from Cole Wilson. You made me rethink the possibility of actually having many successes in so many diverse areas. I've been telling myself this would not bring success, but clearly it is possible. Thank you. One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality to health and wellness to relationship is that life is enormous. And there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You would just never thought, how to have it all. How to do things differently. How to master the human experience from a mind, body and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness. So let's go on to
0: the second idea that you were gonna share, Martin, which is personal growth. This is one of my modules. So entrepreneurseminar.com, I talk about identifying the entrepreneurship opportunity. And I think of that as two things. I think of it as in your world, I'd say, who is vision and what does vision require? And then what is the opportunity? And so what is the map to get to the, the opportunity? And then how do you build the opportunity, which is valley. So for now, we're focused just over here. And I call those the traits of an entrepreneur. This is one particular study. And there are 11 or 12, depending how you break it down, key traits. But One of the traits would be exceptional problem-solving skills. Another one could be resiliency. Another one could be risk sensitivity. Another one could be advocacy. And they go on and on. The idea is that at any one time, we have a number of those traits that exist in us. But we're obviously better at certain things than others, and some of them we do instinctively, and some of them we have to work on. The good thing about traits is you can actually work on them. If I'm not the best ambassador for my company, there's something wrong. So I can learn how to sell better my opportunity. I can learn how to develop perhaps better confidence because I need to step back, reframe what the opportunity is, feel better about what I'm doing. Perhaps I might have to make some repairs in the background and then go forth with a more stronger advocacy stance. I can make changes to the traits. One of the tests about being an entrepreneur is to realize that if you to look at any successful entrepreneur, We live in an imperfect world, right? People are not perfect. I'm not perfect. I have tried to be the best version of myself, but I'm not perfect. If you look at Elon Musk, or you look at Steve Jobs, or you go to any other famous entrepreneur that you want to think about, we all possess these traits, these magical traits. They're difficult in themselves to measure, but actually, if you had the time, you can measure them, because you can map back an activity that you started that had a clear endpoint and it had a clearly value outcome. And you can say it was because I showed 20 30% of resiliency in you know, working on this task. You can start to amplify why the traits are important. What I do is I write them down and I harshly critique myself and say, well, if I give myself a 10 in terms of my resiliency, that means I've got it. I'm fully evolved. Probably don't have to think too much on it. And there's an old saying in entrepreneurship, if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? Go innovate on something that's new. Don't try and refine the top of the pyramid. Right? We don't shine points, we build blocks. So at the end of the day, in my opinion, those people that rank those traits, and there's a whole list in the program, but you can get them online, they're everywhere. You're trying to find things that are in the the one to four range where you probably need, you're like, I'm not that good at that, or I'm perhaps a little unclear on how to unlock this trait. I need to become stronger. What I can guarantee you is well-rounded entrepreneurs make successful entrepreneurs. If you ignore personal development in terms of developing your own value traits, you're going to probably foul. That's for sure. And so where people have got away with it, and I could name a couple of huge entrepreneurs where they've got 80% and they're flawed in one area and they've muscled through but actually they probably could have got through more gracefully if they were more balanced in their traits as an entrepreneur. So you can do the scoring system just to, a little arbitrarily, but focus the mind on areas where perhaps you need to improve. It's a quick litmus test to improve your value traits. That's beautiful. And in Mind Valley, one of the things we teach is the
1: lifebook process of looking at your life in a 360-degree circle and ensuring that in 12 different areas of life, you are thriving, right? We don't want you to have an incredible relationship and have a superb health but be broke, or to have an incredible business but to have your health failing you and to have lost your connection with your children. Now, those of you who are listening, if you want to take a survey by Mind Valley and by Lifebook in partnership with Lifebook to understand what traits you may want to focus on, go to life.mindvalue.com. It's 22 minutes, and it's a Wheel of Life model by John and Missy Butcher, incredible entrepreneurial couple, and you will learn where perhaps you need to spend a little bit more focus on so that you can be more well-balanced. So in your case, Martin, what are some of the traits which you think are most important to develop to be better as entrepreneurs?
0: So right now, I look at subtraits because I actually think it's a better way to define me, but if I keep it at the high level, I think first of all, advocacy is critical. So you have to be able, no one's gonna sell your business. You have to be front and center, you have to be proud and you have to be courageous and you have to stand up to your convictions. So that's key. You have to be ambitious. So I'm giving you the obvious ones here, but without them, you don't stand a chance, right? So you've got to want the reward. You've got to want to put in the effort. This links to another one, fortitude or intestinal fortitude. We have to go beyond what most people will do. So I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, from four-hour work weeks to being able to work smartly. All of that is true, right? You can work smartly. But back to this imperfect world, it's bullshit to assume that we won't have to work hard at some point or we might not have to correct something. And if I made a bad move, I play a lot of chess. If I make a bad move in chess, I could die. It could be the end of my game but I might be able to correct it if I put some hard thinking in, right? So we have to look beyond that. So resiliency and internal or intestinal fortitude is key. Insightful listening. And what I mean by that is that you can be a listener, but you've got to understand the frame in which insights are delivered. You've got to be able to prepare yourself to grab them. Some of the best teachings in entrepreneurship, they come from other people. We're going to talk about it, I'm sure, in a little bit, but wisdom is something that we don't again it's not broke don't fix it we can listen we can receive those insights and then we can think about the application of them i'll leave you with uh, perhaps one more probably the biggest one of all other than open-mindedness which i think you can do a lot to prepare the mind to resist you know feeling insecure resist this idea that you're attacked you're being attacked from every angle Being open is probably one of the the greatest things you can give yourself as a gift as an entrepreneur because you don't have to be the smartest and you're not going to solve it on your own. You need other people. But if you took a competency that you were recruited for and I said to you, what's the next big thing that you look for in people, what would you say? And I'll tell you what I would say. You want to say, I want to recruit a software developer. The answer for me is the next thing. I assume that they fit the culture. I assume they're nice people and all that stuff. My next thing I look for is they've got to be extreme problem solvers, right? I want people to just be able to fix things. I want them to have the capability to say, if I don't know, the way I solve the problem is I go and do research, or I combine a team, or I break the innovation loop by bringing these gaps together. I need problem solvers. And that's a great trait. I mean, they're, they're the top level ones. There are others. And what I look for is, it's a concept coined by Dove
1: Seidman in his book, How and it's called Envisioning the Future Disposition, which is a disposition to think about the future and to want to create a better future and to innovate towards that future rather than simply being satisfied with the
0: status quo. Mm-hmm. But in simple terms, you just look for people that understand there is a future, they can define they can attach themselves to it, right. right? Visionaries, people who can build a
1: future that doesn't yet exist. Yeah, I love it, love it. Cool. In your case, we were talking about personal growth in your case what are some of the qualities that you didn't initially have but you trained yourself to have
0: so i'm you know a futurist visionary i set myself up as a kid because i kind of related more to these people that drew big picture visions and wanted to tell people about why i was personally inspired by them and how i could inspire others and that's definitely not left me and yeah if you look at all the messaging it's everything i do in my business is me i draw the aircraft i write the message I stay central to that big picture vision. What I wasn't good at when I was younger was the execution detail or thinking structurally through it. It helps me that entrepreneurship starts off semi-structured, but I've learnt an ability to become better at process, looking at some of these traits in particular, because I wasn't good at the detail. When I was younger, I wasn't particularly resilient. You know, I was often not as open-minded as I am now. I'm I don't believe I can be any more open-minded. There is a 360 degree of information input possible around me, and it can come from anyone. I realized quite quickly that I was good at problem-solving and that I started to question some of these gaps. And as I questioned them, I realized that, oh, my God, it's not written in a book. I can't learn another skill. And I believe that we'll talk about skill set, but skills are brilliant. But actually, I needed to look at myself. I needed to look at my own mindset. I needed to look at how it was balanced. And I realized that some of these uh, destructive emotions and defensiveness came out of a a harsh environment where I just didn't have the tools and I wasn't aware how to describe them. So naturally, I lacked resiliency, right? Naturally, I wasn't open-minded. I was pretty good at listening, but I didn't know how to grab and translate the insights. I hadn't built anything. Let me phrase
1: this question. For people who are listening, who dream of being entrepreneurs, what would, one or two skills that you suggest they must are essential to influencing their odds of success. Skills that they can go out there right now and study, learn, or develop. Not something you're born with, but something you can you can
0: step into. I think there's, there's too many, but let's just prioritize some big ones. Let's just say on the general management side, the amount of questions we mentor in a year that are focused on time management, idea management, prioritization. If you want to become extremely effective very quickly. It's like getting up on a snowboard and you can actually do it. You may not become a master, but you can do it competently. You have to learn how to process ideas, where they come in, when do you choose to actually grow them? Who do you assign them with? Same with time management. People are incredibly undisciplined by nature. It's something we can become better at, but you can go and learn all of that. Those are processes. So your know, time and idea management being able to prioritize your outcomes is a great skill. Another one, if you're in entrepreneurship, because it's so central from the beginning of the journey, whether you're the founder or co-founder or your early founding member of a team, right the way through to just working in a one, two-year company. At some point, if you're going to progress through management, you have to be able to hire great people. I won't say too much here, only because my DECA model, which was written years ago, there is so much on recruitment and everyone talks about it. But I will tell you this, If you don't think the two hints are you can learn successful recruitment and it is about profiling and it is about understanding that you are selling on the supply and demand side i'm a recruiter just because i pay you money vision i still have to sell you the opportunity so understanding how you profile the right person for your company and then being able to have this bi-directional attraction or selling process and then how do they come into the culture is critical. You can learn an awful lot about hiring people. And if you get that right, you can save yourself a lot of problems. The third one that comes up all the time is that if you're not in the mom and pop shop and you haven't gone for a bank loan or spent your friends and family money or you can't monetize the business quickly. You've ended up going for a bigger business with a bigger vision and you you know you want to make millions. Well, first of all, you need a lot of things to go right. There's no question. But what you are going to do is you're going to have to inject capital at any one time you're going to be talking to at least two sets of investors along the curve be it seed angel syndicate right the way up to venture series a series b etc now i come from venture capital i can tell you that wherever you are in that even down to business angels there is a preparedness that you need and raising money is about life favoring the prepared so you can learn that skill and you'll need it if you're going to aspire to a very big outcome I'll give you a a takeaway that we were debating at a conference a little while ago. It was the year 2016. They said, you know, Martin, you build all these things, and they have tens of millions exits, but what what about the unicorn? And to me, a unicorn exists in a book. I don't think of that as a monetary level of guidance, right? I'm not sitting here thinking that there has to be a billion-dollar outcome. But what I can concur is I'd much rather have a business that's five to eight years old that I've got more chance using scaling triggers to get to half a billion than a billion, then I really want to go through and figure out in 17 months how everything has to go right to make 50 million, because it's the reverse of scaling. There are no scaling triggers. You need to understand asset accretion. You need to understand IP development. You need to understand the exit process. You need to get your product messaging iteratively correct. Obviously, it's a process of review. Uh, we didn't spend a dollar on PR. We needed to have a precise vision and one that we could communicate. If any of those things had gone wrong, and by the way, we raised only 600000 of capital and it was as a favor. We didn't need to raise capital. I don't want to have to replicate something that is so perfect in an entrepreneurship cycle. There's a few examples of things you can go out and you can learn that are what I'd call the core level of entrepreneurship. So time management, you know, recruiting, and raising funds are big areas that you can just go and learn. Time management, recruiting, and raising funds. Okay, that's, that's really interesting. I've
1: never heard anyone bring those three together before. Recruiting, yeah. building team, time management, which essentially makes you more productive, and raising funds. Now, tell us about that story. How did you start a 3D printing company, smoking uh-huh. cigars in a hot tub with your friend, and then 17 months later, sell it for $50 million. Go a little bit into that.
0: I'm so curious. Oh my God, I I do a webinar on this and I've only just recently started to tell this story. So I'd love to give you a few minutes on it because everyone has their crazy story. And I am an eccentric character, I'll admit that. But this is one of the stories that was incredibly controversial. So it was back in 2013 we started. And my friend, Mike was. I I decided after eight years that we would co-found this company. But before we did that, he gave me, I mentioned this plastic whistle And it worked. It was functional. And he said, you know, these 3D printers are cool. So we're smoking cigars in the hot tub. The first point was that I came up with this company. I said, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Because I was researching full color. He wanted to build more 3D printers. Mike is a genius. He's like Steve Wozniak. He's one of those practical engineers, right? He's not a true engineer. By the way, I'm a practical engineer. He's deeper than me. But he is a tinkerer, meaning if you give this guy long enough, he will solve almost anything. If it's possible, he will find an answer. So, I came up with this name, Bot Objects, and the idea that everything at the time had robotics in it. So, we used Bot and then Objects because we were creating something. And we had this controversial product called the ProDesk 3D, Professional Desk for Desktop and 3D. And our claim to fame was that we invented four color 3D printing on the desktop. Anyway, just step back in order to get through the journey. What happened was that we were on the jet going back to New York, and Mike was with me, and we started to come up with our kind of unique selling points. And what we literally did was a strong competitor assessment. And we said, what do we love about 3D printers? Now, we both knew what all the great functions were. But we said, you know, wouldn't it be great, instead of it having two motors, could it have 13 motors? Instead of having two cartridges, a support material and just black or white, can we have six cartridges? And then we said, hold up. Are we sure that CMYK, an inkjet printer, could work for plastics? So before we knew it, we were frying plastics over the cooker to see if the chemical composition was the same for yellow and blue, equaling green. And we found out it was. So what we decided to do was to, and I don't want to get too technical, but we focused on, now is multi-materials, but we focused on plastics. Polylactic acid, or PLA. You melt it to molten temperature, and you extrude the ink down a nozzle, and it hits a hotbed, and then it solidifies, and it makes an object in layers. And that is the process. However, we decided, in order to break the, I guess if you want the sound barrier of 3D printing, it was to reverberate through the industry that we had some novel approaches that had never been done before. So we built a Lamborghini for a Mercedes price. We said too many motors, too many cartridges. We added extra fans. They said this thing can't work and they can't figure out full color 3D printing. We filed patents a month later. I made a bet and I convinced Mike that if the leaders wanted to succeed in the consumer space, they would have to go through us. And that bet paid off. And ultimately, down the road, and this is why i say about a courageous job of entrepreneurship, if you scale up, you are going to have competitors at your throat. If you've got something of value, people will come for you. So we created a controversial company, one of the most controversial companies of 2013. I mean, I think one article had 28 counts of defamation in it. Fortunately, our lawyers took it off the web and we got an apology and everything. And the reason why is every time we created a video or we were on TV printing something, we actually allowed our printer on Fox Business News to print live. Every time it cut to a commercials, they'd say live coming after the break is you know, this 3D printer bot objects. And it was scary. And even after we did that, our competitors and some of the bad media, I'm not going to call it fake media, but let's say the, the uh, cynical media said they cannot do this. Fortunately, we always had an answer. Back to this life favors the prepared. We had a lot of innovation problems. We had a lot of manufacturing problems. We had a cohort in our manufacturer we picked that was phenomenal at building the product. And I was fortunate to go around the world and do 21 distribution deals and people would pay us. And we hadn't even given a product because it was so hyped, the industry at the time. I don't want to get too far into it, but three things. We hit the ramp at the right time. We hit what was commonly, if you think about Gartner, the research company, we hit a hype cycle. We knew we had an innovation principle, and it was centered around a patent development. And we knew if we applied that, we could probably preserve value. These are advanced concepts, by the way. They're covered in an area called asset accretion. In other words, don't enter a startup if you can't amass value quickly, because that's your downside protection. right? So if you want to move fast, you have to understand asset accretion. And so this is what we did. The third and final thing is that timing's everything. The guy that acquired us, the world leader, 3D Systems, ended up acquiring lots of companies because he believed he could collapse the technologies. But ultimately, there wasn't enough cash to go around, and the bubble burst. And we exited at the perfect time, which is why, by the way, I'd like Mind Valley. I'd like to be the person on a five to eight-year journey and go build a big business where you know you can take a more protracted view about value. That's beautiful.
1: 3 Systems was that Avi Raikintel? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I know Avi. He's a friend.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's sadly not with the 3D print industry anymore, but I hear he's doing a whole bunch of venture stuff right now. He's doing some really interesting stuff. Yeah.
1: Now, tell us about your entrepreneur education business. What made you do that and why? You have 17 businesses. Why do you care about educating entrepreneurs?
0: Yeah, so a couple of things. So I have you know, 30 different investments and I'm spread over 11 industries and that's taught me a bunch of things. The reason I focus on education First of all, education does. It, in my opinion, there are very few get-rich-quick schemes, and education is not normally entered into. you know, trying to turn out to be, you know, maybe a Mind Valley or a Tony Robbins or these people. You know, you don't. You're not sitting here thinking that there are many other ways to make money. Why do I say that? Because I do it because I love the subject. I can talk about it for hours. I love researching the subject. I like thinking. So I've coined many terms over the years and had a lot of them copied over the years. Which, by the way, is the greatest way to get your message out there, right, is let people tag on to the end of it. But one of them is that I say that, you know, by definition, entrepreneurship is not a science. But if practiced, we can dramatically increase our chances of success. The underlying motivation for me is that if I continue to focus on the subject, I can look at the decision modules, I can see how they connect. And then ultimately, I can say that if you take at least two functions, you can find the right insight or decision to make at somewhere on your entrepreneurship journey, most decisions in entrepreneurship combine functions. So, customer acquisition involves sales, it involves marketing, it involves finance, it impacts reporting, investment raising, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I like this idea that the better we can understand how it fits, the more we can down press into the skill set zone where we can learn it easier. I actually think it's harder to do the, the work up top than it is to actually learn skill set. So what I try and do is push it sort of down, you know, down the pyramid. So first of all, I love it. I love teaching. I love communicating the concepts. I like hearing what people think. Uh, I like understanding that I'm adding, if you will, my own purpose. I'm adding value to the world because I think I have an interesting perspective on how I would approach entrepreneurship. And I believe in sharing that. My selfish view because we all need things where we want to connect down the road and say, am I happy that I spent 10 years doing this? I've done it for 18 years. Am I happy to do another 18 years? I see entrepreneurs make the same mistakes every single day and all of them, I mean, all of them can be averted. And so if they take my training, my view is the foundation program. And then I have this unlimited mentoring program and it's obviously subject to my capacity but they can ask me five questions or a thousand questions in a year. What I'm actually doing is testing whether they've applied my learnings to their trade craft. And if I like that, it gives me a very unique way to think about an alumni where I could perhaps collaborate and invest my money with. So the idea is let's train and then collaborate with the next generation of entrepreneurs. And I think my approach is absolutely, as a guy that rigorously looks at competitors, is unique in the market. It's not the only approach, but it's a very compelling approach that has iteration through the mentoring program to refine their ideas. That's really cool. So again, you can find out more about
1: Martin's education programs on martinwarner.com. That's M-A-R-T-I-N-W-A-R-N-E-R.com. Now, Martin, tell us about this company. You have so many intriguing companies, but talk biz now. Talk B-I-Z- now, N-O-W. What made you start that? And what is talk Biz now about?
0: Oh, God. So now it's something completely different today, Like we've reused all of the network that's in it. But when we came up with that years ago with a guy, Mark Parker, who was actually one of the big bankers, now you know, he was the number two at Virgin Money. And we both said, how do you want to put this, this birthing of social networks where MySpace had gone and Friendster and it became all about Facebook because of the level of customization within their profiles. And then you had this thing called LinkedIn. We weren't quite sure what it was. They weren't doing recruitment and all that. Back in the day, Torpe is now spawned when LinkedIn only had 40 million members. And the idea, I remember being in the mountains in Morocco and we were trying to come up with a name. And we said, look, what interested me, this comes back from my skill set side of my brain is that I don't like this idea that it's all about social conversations and I don't like the idea that we're somehow just going to build a network of people to talk. I said, how do we create a workplace, an online workplace for people to be able to integrate their stuff? To do that, you need a business network. You need an ability to share communication and you need an ability to brainstorm. So talk now came back to the simple idea that, you know, get onto this network, collaborate with people, and you can get business done quickly. What it ended up translating to Reed was too far along with LinkedIn, and we couldn't compete on a pure business network. And we didn't like the fact that Facebook was in a whole different world. It really wasn't something related. However, we were on the cover of Forbes, and they covered it with uh, LinkedIn's newest rival, right? And the reality is, we weren't a rival to them or Facebook, but we rode the coattails of Facebook and this whole network revolution. What it ended up being was an online workplace. We created productivity tools. So we had the early chat messenger where you could put a gig file through the wall. Back then, it wasn't possible. We had virtual screen sharing. We had a virtual dashboard. All the stuff you see right now that's in Google Me or Zoom, this stuff didn't exist back then. What
1: happened to TalkBiz now? So, of course, it must have been really cool being in the cover of Forbes as LinkedIn's competitor because LinkedIn back then was worth a billion dollars. But what happened to TalkBizNow? now? We
0: wrapped it up because we were at like 900,000 people and people weren't looking for productivity tools in the same way. So what we found was that if you look at, say, SlideShare that got acquired by LinkedIn, we found that deeper tools, as we were moving into the application universe, were moving in silos. The integration was inversed, okay? It wasn't the same thing. And so the idea that we could create this workplace, the only other people that were thinking about it were already in the cloud and were attaching really large infrastructure, which was Google. So the Google workplace vision. So what we decided to do, and we thought clever, was to repurpose the ideas that we had, repurpose the idea of the network and how that productivity worked. And you know that has taken its place in many other things that we've done. Some of the greatest concepts I had lived in the birthing of TalkBiz now. But as a company that wanted to bring all those applications together the market was moving in a different direction. Amazing. So thank you, Martin. So as we
1: come to the tail end of this conversation, this has been intriguing. It's fascinating for me speaking to someone like you who has been able to replicate business after business after business in multiple different industries. What would be your final closing words for the people who are listening, who are entrepreneurs and want to
0: get their business to the next level, or maybe who want to be entrepreneurs? I think there's two big things I'd say. The first one is that not because... I mentor people and other people mentoring people or the subject seems sexy right now, but I had three massive mentors in my life and they had a profound effect on me. And what I mean by that is sometimes you can learn a lot and I'm a guy that can solve problems, but it's a lonely journey. If you're the founder, if you're coming out and you've got a blank sheet of paper and, and now you've got something, you've got it moving, all of a sudden it drops again like it runs out of speed, or you're burning too much cash, hiring too quickly, can't get the margins up. It doesn't end. What you can do if you can find the right mentor, it's difficult. You need a good problem solver. You need someone you can relate to, someone you can trust, that you can share everything that's going on. They can provide the validation that you might need. They might suggest possible different outcomes. They may be able to project that there's a course correction coming, or they may just give you that vital encouragement to say, I think you're on the right path here. Now, to get a mentor like that, you need someone on a similar wavelength that you trust. It's a little bit like counselling. If you, if you don't trust them and you're not open, they're not going to counsel you. They're not going to be able to help you. They've got to be able to go on cradle to grave, meaning you've got to be able to build a product, start a company, raise funding and sell it. And you need someone, I think, that if you can it's better to have a problem solver than it is to have someone that's in your industry. It's nice to have both, but it's not necessarily. It's industry agnostic. Entrepreneurship is more valuable if we're holistic than being industry specific. That's the first thing. Get a mentor if you can. By the way, it doesn't matter whether you're getting into entrepreneurship. To get a good mentor, they'll probably want to see you step into entrepreneurship, not necessarily, or you are somewhere along your journey and you're trying to figure out that mentor. And by the way, Often you will have more than one mentor, even for the same journey. You know, we move our life through chapters, and mentoring is the same thing. The second big thing I'd say is that understand where we're complete. Harvard Business Review did a great article about the incomplete leader, and I fundamentally agree with it. And that's that if I was to look at myself back on these traits, there are things that I'm exceptionally good at, and there are some things where I might not like to do it. I may actually not be good at it. I may have no interest in raising my competency in it. But what I realize is if you plug together – I better find people that can complete me. And if you think about about entrepreneurship, it's at stages. And every brick, or as you go up the escalator, you need a certain level of finite resource that has to work together. And those are different organisms. And they morph based on the size of the company. So find the people that satisfy your needs as an entrepreneur, and that means looking at yourself and the company, especially in the first three years of the journey. So that will be my two takeaways. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Martin.
1: And thank you everyone for joining us. Martin, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for sharing with us your insights on entrepreneurship. And for those of you listening online or on the podcast, you can learn more about Martin at martinwarner.com. That's M-A-R-T-I-N-W-A-R-N-E-R.com. Thank you, Martin. Thanks, Vishnu. go to mindarley dot com forward slash now to get started.